Hello there. This is Kevin. This is the Yoga Life Podcast. Welcome. Or welcome back. If you've already listened, thanks for coming back. And if you're new, I hope you like it. If you do leave a review on iTunes, that'd be fantastic. This podcast is brought to you by some sponsors, three to be precise. First one is Om. Om Apparel, men's clothing brand that want to encourage more men to do yoga. Yoga is reflected in everything they do, from being kinder to the environment by using sustainable recycled fabrics to their recycled paper packaging and focus on men's health. Their fabrics are all eco-certified because our planet can't afford more irresponsible manufacturing. Go to om.com forward slash hashtag TYLP and check out their full range of eco-active wear for men. Put stuff in your basket, go to checkout, and then you get 15% off if you use the promo code KEVIN. So that's omohmme.com forward slash hashtag TYLP. Promo code KEVIN at checkout for 15% off. I've got my eye on some uh, slate colored Voyager trousers. Got loads of pairs of them. So uh, wear them all the time. So check them out. Next sponsor is 108 Asana Yoga Sequencing Cards by Yoga Roo. If you're a yoga practitioner, you're trying to develop your home practice without going online and just copying a class, I recommend you check these guys out. They, well, they, Ruth, designs these beautiful cards that give you all your alignment cues, your level guides, your anatomy coding, and your English to Sanskrit translations. Simply go to yogaru.ie, choose your cards, your deck of cards, put in the promo code Kevin, for 10% off. That's yogaru.ie promo code Kevin for 10% off your 108 Asana yoga sequencing cards. Third and finally, small changes. No online offering just as yet, but they are a whole food store close to me, close to my heart. I've had their owner on here, Pada, a few weeks ago. And uh, I'm really making an effort now to be more and more conscious of my consumption and my waste and this is what small change is all about that's their ethos to make small changes for a big difference so if you go to smallchanges.ie if you're in John Condra or the soon to be the Glass Nevin area go and check out their store and uh, support local if you're looking to handstand why not come to my handstand workshop on July 6th in Yoga Hub Castle Knock if you're looking to become a yoga teacher come to like why not while you're at it you know you listen to a yoga podcast you like yoga become a teacher um or at least inquire about it perhaps and see what it's all about you can come to my open day which is happening in when is it happening saturday 27th of july in yoga hub castle knock again it's a free event you come along ask questions you're going to meet other potential trainees and all information is going to be on kevinballyoga.ie and uh, if you've got any questions, please let me know. Without further ado, let's uh, let's get Devin on. I met Devin in Bali. He was actually the first ever guest on the podcast back in the Dizze. And now I actually got a chance to meet him. So I made it priority when I was in Bali with Rach. I said, I'm not going to do too much work. I'm not really going to take loads of photographs, keep it to a minimum, just enjoy my time with her. But a priority was to meet Devin Kelly, have a private with him and do the podcast, which went really, really well. We had a good fun, and I learned a ton. I hope you do too. Here's Devin. Can I call you Dev or Devin? Yeah, Dev, Dev, Dev is okay. Devin, yeah, my dad calls me Dev, so. Okay, yeah. all right. Yeah. What's up, Dev? What's up, Dad? <laughs> um how are you i'm feeling great it's good to be in bali yeah yeah we just um to set some context we just finished a private uh, the one-to-one i finished with, with dev and um we did it in nirvana strength which is an amazing facility um and the focus for today was handstand press and uh i was uh I don't do many privates myself. They're, they're quite in, intense, aren't they, privates? Because you're so you're proximity to the person, mm. and sometimes the person is expecting quite a lot. So when you when you've got a private, 
what's your process for assessing like what the person needs mm, for me at this point it's probably more organic like I'll uh, I'll try to have a structure in mind based on what they say they want mm. and then that might change based on what they do mm-hmm. you know like I'll run them through some basics like even when I'm running you through the wrist warm-up I'm watching you I'm watching your patterns how much awareness do you have how much do you respond to my cues mm-hmm. how well are you able to make adjustments and based on those sort of both intuitive and sometimes measured assessments of, you know, I change the strategy. Mm-hmm. So for me, it's, I guess it's hard to describe the process because I've been doing it for many years now. So I don't really have like a structured mm-hmm. thing for privates because I find them to be so individual. Mm-hmm. I, I try to gauge the, the person more intuitively nowadays. Mm. What, what I really liked about, actually we stick our headphones on. What I really liked about your approach, because uh, now you'll be able to hear me really clearly. Oh, yes. Yeah. Uh, and also, yeah. Anyway, what I really liked about your approach was, for example, the wrist warm-up. You said, what's your current wrist warm-up? And I took you through what I do, and then you showed me other things, which sounds so simple, but you could have just launched into these are the wrist warm-ups. And if I've, I do most of them myself already, it's mm-hmm. redundant for me. Um, I really liked that. That was really good. Um, another thing is uh, having the confidence to... I was taking notes on my phone, which mm. was which was a little bit laboured and it was kind of taking time. And mm. you allowed me to to video you, which is so good because I I, I understand that sometimes the video it, it interrupts things, interrupts the interaction. So mm. I didn't want to be constantly videoing, but it does help because uh, when I was making notes, I was just like I already don't understand my notes. <laughs> right, as a review tool, yeah, it can be as a review tool useful, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, it's also about time, you know, time constraint. That's one of the most challenging things I find about privates is like when people want to hire me for just an hour, mm. you know, it's like I have to think about okay. <clears throat> what are the things that I can do and what approaches can I take to have the biggest impact in that time in a way that sort of carries on most sustainably, you know, long term for them? Like what, what am I going to give them that equals the broadest insights and the most applicable insights without being so vague and without being so, um, yeah, I mean, without being so vague that it's just not it's not concrete enough for them to actually do anything. Mm -hmm. Um, Because I could sit there and talk principles the entire time, and that would be one end of the spectrum of being so broadly applicable that it's, I mean, you could just unpack that for years and years from one hour. Mm -hmm. But then I find that people are detached from that. If it's too abstract, too conceptual, too cerebral, Mm -hmm. um, there's no, yeah, there's just, I mean, so yeah, I mean, you could probably relate to that with your experience of actually doing the handstand entrances, Mm -hmm. whereas if I had just talked about it, or, or mm. spent more time explaining the methodology as opposed to just spending a couple minutes on it, it would have been a different impact. Yeah, completely. Mm. And also, I, I like the way that um, you, instead of, I noticed actually one thing you do, Devin, is like when you say something, you look quite intently at me afterwards to see if I got, <laughs> I got it. <laughs> and maybe that's through working such a long time in a country where English is a second language, where you have to read more their physical cues. Are they actually understanding or are they just saying they're understanding it? And then another thing you did was to ask questions, not just, do you know what I mean? Because if you say, do you know what I mean? People go, yeah, Yeah, mm -hmm, and it tells you nothing. But then you actually asked me probing questions around that subject to then see if I understood it, which is really good because I, I knew coming into this private, I was like, okay, I'm going to eat well this morning. I'm not going to drink too much coffee. Uh, I'm also going to have my mind straight. I was just listening and, then when you, and then when you came in totally plastered, I was just so surprised. I said, okay, I mean, but... It's party! Uh, yeah, I was like real... Um, I was real... Like this morning, I was listening to loads of uh, philosophy and I was getting into that mindset of like, okay, be introspective, ask questions. And another thing is I really liked is that you're used to storytelling. Okay. So this, because... People like stories. I mean, everyone, there's, there's different types of learners out there. But when you told the story about um, the weightlifter and yep. the girl who was going through the motions and sure. then her coach. Uh, and, it, you know, it doesn't matter who the coach was, where it happened, but it's the tale itself. Mm. And it's the lessons that learned from the tale. But I could build characters in my mind. And then I was that character. You know, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I see what you mean. Yeah, And, and that worked well. Yeah, well, that's one thing. Like, for example, in the most recent the online teaching course I did, the teaching that moves people. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the primary subjects I did uh, that I covered in terms of teaching style, which was in the second segment, was all about using metaphor and storytelling as a teaching tool. And I find that it's so powerful because um, 
I mean, number one, atten- people's attention spans are already getting shorter, but st- stories and metaphors are one thing where I find that no matter how short a person's attention span is, generally if, if a story has characters, has a plot line, mm-hmm. you know, something that's happening on a timeline, it's easy for them to pay attention, it's easy for them to relate, and it's super memorable. Even for myself, I mean, I have like a... I'm not bragging, but I have like a superhuman long attention span. Like I can just focus on one thing for just an absurd amount of time without taking a break. Um, And it doesn't bother me. Like I've never fallen asleep during a movie. I've never fallen asleep. I have a hard time falling asleep at night for this reason. (laughs) 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 Something to look into. But, um, But even for me, it's like what I remember and what I take away from events and, and from teachers is is all about like the metaphors they use, the stories they use, the jokes they tell. Mm. And, and that kind of, those lessons taught me like, okay, if I really want to, I mean, I'm not an entertainer, but I now understand the value of entertaining people in this way to hold their attention and to, and to like you said, I mean, you've, you've found yourself in the position of the character in the story. If I made this girl up or not, it doesn't matter. Mm. Um, which I didn't, it's actually a real story. Um, but I actually wasn't there in person. It was just a video I was watching. Mm. But putting you there in that moment, it helps you relate to the, to the it, it helps ground the technique in an actual setting and with actual people. And otherwise we're just talking concepts. We're just talking abstract. And for, for some people, that's great. For some people like who think highly abstractly, that's wonderful. But for a lot of people, for most people, it, it doesn't land. Mm. But also it breaks the rhythm of the dialogue because if you're constantly teach, um, probe to see if they understand, do it, then then you've got this thing, it can better get a bit monotonous. Okay, what's the next drill we're doing, next drill, next drill. Mm-hmm. But when you throw in the story, it breaks the, the rhythm. And that breaking the rhythm, I think, keeps people's attention. Could uh, be, yeah. I, I think, personally, it did, did for me. Um, but um, w- w- when we were leaving the, the, um, the private, mm-hmm. this guy came over and he was uh, wanted to speak to you and he was talking about you can move it via the handle if you like like this is it if it's too high oh okay yeah. cool yeah thank you like that yeah <laughs> he gets clearly a pro <laughs> no nah, this is a bit of a ghetto setup but it does the job um so um this geezer come over and he was he was a little bit uh kind of apprehensive about interrupting us and asking about the workshop and when he came over um, he I think his question to you you can clarify this was how physical will the workshop be yeah how, uh, because with respect to him he didn't look like an athlete mm-hmm. um, and I mean you can't judge a book by its cover but you get certain signals and I, I think he, he seemed like concerned that it might that he wouldn't be able to take a break and that you'd be maybe driving at home uh, in terms of the, um, yeah, he seemed concerned that it was going to be too physically challenging, too physically for sure. That's the vibe I got. Basically, yeah. yeah. Um, for a start, how do you reassure someone like that? You don't. For me, it's not about reassuring anybody or providing them with an additional narrative. I try to be as clear as possible about my intention. And I try to help clarify in a way that I think will they will understand. So I try to meet somebody where they are in terms of where I think their interpretation level is or where they're coming from. I do my best to relate to them culturally, personally. Mm-hmm. But granted that, I try to just be as specific as I can. And if I sense somebody has a fear, I don't find it's my job or I don't, I don't feel compelled to put a Band-Aid over that or to assuage or mollify their, their fears in any way. Like that's, if anything, if anything, I think it's part of my job to reflect that back at them and show them like, oh, you're afraid of this. You don't want to confront this. Okay, well, then actually maybe this would be good. For, maybe I might even say, I might even, you know, it's not lying to them, but I might exaggerate in a way that makes it seem like this is something that you might have to confront if you come to my workshop, right? Even if they actually won't on the level that I'm, that I'm putting out there, mm. they, even if they won't have to on that level. Um, so I think about it in, in, in those terms. I'm not interested in selling workshops. I'm not interested in selling my courses. I'm interested in teaching people. You know what I mean? Mm. Yeah, you're, you're asking him um, to kind of be introspective, to say, ask himself why has he created this narrative in his head that he is, uh, for want of a better word, afraid of the physicality of, of the workshop. Yeah, not, I'm not outright asking him that, obviously. Like, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not asking him, like, 
oh, it seems like you're afraid of this. But in some cases, if that feels appropriate, I would. But I'm, but I'm reflecting the, I'm reflecting that uncomfortability or that fear back at him, by by just stating simply what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. And like, yeah, there's gonna be a, it's it's all physical. Like mm-hmm. you noticed how I said it's all physical, mm-hmm. but we're using that physical component. We're using the the physical practice as a medium for understanding deeper learning principles mm-hmm. that can be applied to any learning process. Mm-hmm. And then it's like, because that's really what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. But then he's, but but the way I phrase it, then he's forced to confront like, oh, okay, if I come, this is gonna be a physical practice. Like this is that's what it is. It's a physical movement workshop. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't want to, I, I don't want to take that, I don't want to take that potential confrontation away from people that could be valuable for him in the future because if he has a resistance to 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 coming to a physical event for that reason if i try to if i try to take that away from him and say like no 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 don't worry brother it's all going to be fine you don't have to worry about that you don't have to fear about that then in making that decision to come to my workshop he never has the opportunity to confront that resistance mm. you know what i mean yeah man but the delivery is so important because i was there when the conversation happened and um, I just walked along with you, just uh, there. And <laughs> Ke- Ke- Kevin was squinting his eyes in the corner and wringing his hands, <laughs> watching, like, like your agent or something, take, taking some <laughs> some secret notes. Yeah. No. What I noticed was um, so. We, well, for a start, your Instagram is like you in the mountains in China. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like like some monk. I get that impression a lot yeah. from people. They yeah. they say like yeah. You have like maybe three pairs of pants that you wear. They're all black or grey, and like you know, or or, or green. It's kind of army colour, <laughs> and, and you're there, and um, and you're doing these uh, routines that are so methodical and and, uh, and they're you know um, very disciplined, and um, you're eating duck eggs and something, I don't know and five hamburgers and and and, and like quite your small path. humans who happen to wander across my path <laughs> and uh, unfortunate uh, souls and um so so this 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 uh presence or this um kind of uh, not like kind of a facade seems like quite serious quite intimidating but then when i met you today it was like you're smiling and i was like i haven't actually seen him smile much yeah. I, I don't see you like he's a smiling what's up bro we, we had a bit of a laugh and then when this when this guy we're talking about was talking to you you were talking to him i was watching your face yeah i was watching how like your eyebrows were up you know you were <laughs> kind of like hands were out and it was all very welcoming you know um because he he was a bit apprehensive and i think i think the content is really important in terms of what you say to him obviously but then how you say it is equally important because you can't get that across in in instagram you know yeah that's the video as as my girlfriend yeah i should tell you how you how i say something is perhaps even way more important than what i'm saying yeah <laughs> that's a skill in, it, in itself um <laughs> but i wanted to talk to you about that because you you do through social media come across um quite stoic quite um serious in your nature but I went all the way back to your posts when, when your first few posts you did on Instagram and it was very much peace and love light hearted hashtag this if you like it share it with a friend this type of stuff and I've noticed mm. there's been a change now my sister has said to me that I've got way more serious as I've gotten older mm. and I'm wondering well I'm, first I want to ask you because I don't know anything about your childhood mm. if Say if I read a school report by one of your teachers mm-hmm. when you were seven, what would it say? When I was seven? Or at that age, around that age. Yeah, yeah. What, what, what grade? I have to re- relate that to like a grade or something. <laughs> so I, when I was five, I was in kindergarten. Six is first grade. Seven is second grade. Oh, second grade? Mm, probably, probably, I, was, I think they would call me precocious. That's being a little bit arrogant, maybe, but I think they would call me precocious and maybe a little bit um, rebellious. Mm. Um, I've got like kind of like a anti. I had at that point, I had like an anti-authority kind of thing going on. Even at that young age, I didn't like to be told what to do, especially by people who I didn't respect or consider to be respectable. Um, um, but also easy to make friends. Like I was easy to make friends at that point. Um, and I was highly protective over my friends. Like I remember getting in fights on the playground because I didn't like how some of the older kids were treating people who I liked or like my friends. Mm. Like there was this one kid, I remember his name, Aaron Jones. 
and um, he was he was wearing this like Christmas like this Christmassy ass looking sweater, and it was it was a hideous sweater, but he had it on inside out. And the other, like some of the older kids, and like you know when you're in second grade, it's like the fourth graders are like, whoa, those are the big kids. And some of the fourth graders were teasing him about his inside out sweater, and I just remember getting so upset, like you know that burning feeling in your stomach. It was my first like kind of experience of like, wow, this is feels wrong to me. And they were bullying him and. Um, and so like I, I don't remember exactly how it happened, but I said something to them and they ended up cornering me against the wall. Like, like there were like three or four of them and they're much bigger than me physically. And so they, you know, I try to get up and they push me back down against the wall. I hit my head again, the back of my head against a brick wall. I remember, and they're like cornering me there. I can't get up. I can't physically do anything. I'm totally helpless. And, um, and, uh, so that that was only one instance, but that happened more than one time. I, I felt um, very protective over over my friends and ended up getting in confrontations because of it. Mm-hmm. Um, that feeling has never really changed, but I tend to allow more space now for people to make their own, like to confront things on their own because I want to support their growth in that way. And, and it's not like I couldn't step in or mm-hmm. that I don't want to, but it's more like I'm thinking sort of bigger perspective. Um, but yeah, anyway, so that was kind of a tangent, but I understand your question. Like that. So what, what I'm getting yeah. at is like, like, I think people go in cycles or phases. It's almost like we have different personalities as, uh, at different stages in our life. Yeah, sure. And, um, I'm wondering like what stages have you gone through and what has caused those stages, those changes even? Yeah. Yeah. I remember the, the initial part of your question was like, there's a, there's been a change in my disposition and attitude on social media. Yeah. It seems more serious now. Ironically, ironically, I would describe it in the opposite way. I, th- I feel way less serious now. Okay. Subjectively. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like I don't take things as seriously. I have a stronger introspective practice. Like I make more, I, like I make more jokes interpersonally, mm-hmm. but not publicly. Like I don't try to be funny on my page. Like, um, mm. whereas before, like the whole, it's interesting cause I went through, when I found yoga, I went through this phase of, of opening really. It was like, you know, maybe Baron Baptiste and his students might call it like blowing the lid off, you know, blowing the lid off your practice and resistance and all this, these ways that you're hiding in front of yourself. And so I went through the process, um, of, you know, introspective practice. I was introduced to introspective practice through some students of Baron Baptiste at a studio in North Carolina. Mm. And, um, and it was like that. It was like I started to become aware of all these ways that I was being reserved and, and trying to put on a mask in front of other people and holding myself back because I was uh, afraid of what other people might think of me or afraid of what I might think of me if I in- encountered certain results. Mm-hmm. Um, and when that happened, it was like it went to the opposite extreme. I thought, you know, I was telling myself that somebody who is involved in this kind of practice and this kind of expression of yoga not only needed to be open, but also needed to appear open mm-hmm. and lighthearted and, 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 you know, gregarious, you know, gregarious is the right word mm-hmm. in front of other people. Um, and so like that whole phase, if I look back on that, it's kind of an embarrassment to me when I read my old captions and stuff, it's a cringeworthy thing for me. I cringe when I read it and it's because it wasn't authentic. It's because it was, I was putting something on because I thought I needed to appear open and I needed to appear relatable and I needed to appear lighthearted and I needed to appear accessible. And I wanted to show people, I didn't want to be misinterpreted. So I used a lot of emojis and to show people that I was being inviting and happy. And the deeper my introspective practice went, um, the more I became aware of that and started to just talk straight about what I meant. And I started to leave a lot of the yogi language behind that the new age spiritual language that I had acquired, not even really yogi language, but, um, and just speak like myself again, you know, mm-hmm. and, but now in a new way, because I had a new kind of awareness of the motives behind my behavioral traits. Um, mm. so yeah, I mean, ironically kind of a serious explanation, but it was, <laughs> <laughs> um, just, I, you know, people, people see me as more serious now, but I just feel like I don't, all that was bullshit. It's sad in a lot of ways because it did mislead so much people, so many people. Like I remember posting this photo, for example, on Instagram, it was like before and kind of a before and after thing, like back when I was vegan five years ago or whatever. Mm-hmm. And here is me now. And it, in, in the old photo, I mean, it was a terrible photo and I was looking 
not healthy, but I was smiling. I had this big sort of ear-to-ear grin. And one of the most common comments I got on that photo was like, was like, yo, you're, I mean, you look, you look great now, you look healthy now, but man, you looked so happy back then. Like, where's your smile go? And, I'm, and they don't know that that was a total facade. Like that was, I was totally faking that. Like I thought about that every time I took a picture. I was like, how do I have this kind of like authentic looking ear to ear grin? Like I'm totally open and enjoying life. Um, I was trying to appear that way and, but people don't have that kind of insight. They just see it on the surface and they think, oh, lighthearted then, serious now, but it's actually reversed. You know, it's, it's actually opposite. Uh, Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good question. Thanks for asking that. I hadn't thought about that much, so. Ah, cool, man. Um, well, you, you, you touched it there about uh, introspection and I, I'm interested in, um, in this, this topic because I think that, uh, you know, I, I th- from a teaching perspective, I want to find out w- what's motivating me. Yeah. Because I, I, I have certain things that I've been really lucky that the last, um, there were this year has been really good for me and like a lot of good things that are happening in terms of, uh, work wise. And I, my main thing is don't fuck it up. <laughs> okay. But what I, what I'm trying to draw myself back to is why is this important for me? And, and, and um, what do I, what do I, why am I telling myself uh, certain things? Why do I think I'm going to fuck it up? Okay. Exactly. Why mm. do I think that? I mean, when I spoke to you last time, because we did a podcast a couple months ago, me and Devin, but it actually, the recording didn't record properly, unfortunately. But one of the things we talked about was, mm. it was ended up, Devin was kind of counseling me. <laughs> for, for a couple minutes, yeah. I was like, my father didn't hug me enough. Uh, but <laughs> yeah, it was, um, but one of the things was, why do I f- uh, have this narrative in my head like I'm a fraud? Mm-hmm. Uh, why do I and it's this cycle and I keep saying it and no matter people when people give me a compliment I, I put it down and I brush it to the side and um, and that is this weakness you know I, I think it's me repeating a pattern that is not helping me and I need to change not need to change I it would serve me to actually ask myself why am I saying these this this having this talk in my mind and how could I, how could I change that? And, and I'm, what, what I'm, what I want to get to is, mm. um, when people come to your workshops, how do you talk to them or how do you incorporate introspection in your workshops <clears throat> in terms of teaching it? Two ways, um, I think that are worth mentioning here. A lot of it I can't really describe. It's very intuitive, like I said. Mm. It's just situational based on the person. But two kind of principles that I operate on, one comes from, actually it's funny because I've read just countless works of Nietzsche and just I don't know how many hours pouring, pouring over his pieces. But one line that stuck with me in terms of friendship and what friendship means is he said at one point, I, I don't know if this is the right phrasing or not, but he said something like friendship is often being a hard cot to sleep on. Hmm. And what that means to me is that if somebody comes to you with a vulnerability or they express a vulnerability or you see it in them, like this is what I just talked about before, it's a lot about not trying to fix that or trying to assuage it or trying to cushion that for them. Sometimes it's allowing them enough comfortability and reassurance to be able to rest in that for a moment and then eventually to confront it. But if you become too much of a soft, cushy bed for them, mm-hmm. you end up crippling them. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So it's like, that's how I relate to that, um, mm-hmm. that aspect. So I try to be, um, encouraging and open enough that people feel comfortable expressing themselves in front of me and comfortable having those confrontations Mm. in my presence and around other people in my workshops, but I try not to be too cushy. Mm. Intentionally, sometimes I'll push a little bit of confrontation on them. Mm. Um, So that's one out of two. Because, I'm sorry, go on, and the second one? Yeah, I can remember it, go ahead. Uh, No, no, go I don't want to talk to you, go on. Yeah, I guess the second one would be more about listening to fine cues that I've learned to pick up on over time. 
like my listening skills, I think are probably the most useful there that I've developed through the narrative excavation practice, just one-on-one coaching and small groups and working with people, just listening for so many hours and listening to how they just, I call them indicators, narrative indicators. And there's certain like categories of words and phrases that people use that will indicate certain narratives over time. And, and so I'll ask them questions, like key kind of questions and phrases that will el- elicit that, those indicators from them. And then based on those indicators, I can decide what questions I ask them from there. Mm. And the questions I ask them situationally based on what they say are, are questions that will probe them to see the narratives that they're telling themselves about themselves that are mm. getting in the way of their progress. Mm. And it's like my goal at the end of that interaction is for them to, to look at those narratives and be like, oh yeah, okay, I see how I'm making that up and I see how that's standing in the way of me moving forward. Yeah, yeah. Does that make sense? Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, but then you must have, uh, I mean, you think about your workshops is, I was looking at Nirvana Strength and all their workshops and the titles <coughs> of their workshops. Sure. And yours seems a little bit more abstract, uh, for want of a better word, a bit more... I don't like the word vague, but it sounds it seems more abstract yeah. than than Yuri, who has hand balance and acrobatics workshop. Okay, boom, hand balance acrobatics. I know what I'm gonna get. Yep. Whatever. But with yours, I imagine that the spectrum Sorry. of people, no worries, the spectrum of people that come to your workshop is a lot broader. Yes. You know, in terms of the persona of the profile of people, have you? So, would you say that's a fair assumption? Thanks. So. <sighs> Um, broader in what way? Do you get teachers coming? Oh, people, uh, or do you get um, people who are like um, acrobatics, mm. acrobats? Sorry, do you get people who are out of shape and are looking to for more of a lecture? I wouldn't say that my I, I wouldn't say that the people in that way who show up at my workshops are more diverse. Um, but I would say the kind of people who show up are distinct in, in a certain way because because of the I've learned that if I advertise in a certain way, then I will get a certain kind of person who shows up. If I advertise physical skills, if I advertise impressive tricks or feats of uh, physical accomplishment, then that's what people will come for. If I advertise um, a more relaxed vibe, a more restorative vibe, that's what people will come for. If I advertise more of a rehabilitation vibe, that's what people will come for. And so what I'm interested in teaching is about how to become more autonomous and critically thinking in the learning process, mm-hmm. which is how I advertise my workshops now. I want to teach people to become more autonomous and piecing together their own practice in um, teaching their students, in relating to themselves and other people in practice. Mm-hmm. And so to describe how I'm doing that just requires me to be a little bit more abstract. And I don't want people coming to my workshops expecting me to expecting me to completely focus on just like how to teach, how to, how to, how to get a handstand press. Mm-hmm. I don't give a fuck if you ever get it, like getting a handstand, what does it mean? To acquire something? It's like buying, just like, it feels like, can I buy a handstand press from you? I'm not gonna sell you that. What I'm selling you is a process and what I'm selling you is insights into the learning process that you can apply in every area of your life. That's what I care about. Mm-hmm. Um, and if people wanna learn physical skills physical skill acquisition there's nothing wrong with that that's great there's a place for that and i mean yeah it's 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 awesome it's part of the process you have to do that at a certain point to even become involved in physical practice but that's not the perspective i want to teach from and i don't want to mislead people in that way so that's why i try to be even off-putting a little bit in my workshop descriptions like a lot of people would see the volume of writing that I put into the workshop description and be like I don't want to read through all that and that's exactly what I'm hoping for I'm hoping people give up because I don't want the kind of students who are going to give up in reading a two-paragraph description fuck them I mean I don't wish them anything bad but like it's not for you mm-hmm. don't come mm-hmm. yeah it, yeah because you don't you don't advertise much your workshops it's it's, um, it's not like we only have this many spaces left and grab these free tickets. I mean, you do, you do a, a bit, but I know people, including myself, that advertise their workshops way more, you know, and, mm. um, and maybe it's the case of um, they have to do a little bit of work themselves, not just, but also ask themselves, do they really want to go through the process of self-inquiry and do they want mm. to... Um, you know, be introspective, as it were. Um, I'm going to be a little bit selfish here, um, 
because I assume there's some teachers that come to your workshops, mm -hmm. yeah. And I'm curious as to what, if you notice any trends, what people say in terms of challenges that they have or things they doubt themselves on. Have you noticed any trends? I mean, yeah, um, but that I think would be, I, w I would, I would describe that wholly within the context of the narrative excavation practice that I teach. Mm. I mean, the, the three, the three narratives that tend to hold people back, uh, intrapersonally, so to speak, like, you know, inside themselves are the, I'm alone, I'm not safe or I'm in danger. That's mm. number two. Number three is I'm bad. Mm. I'm defective or flawed in some way. Uh, these three narratives are the big sort of impediments to people's perception of their own identity, mm -hmm. perception of their relationships, what they can accomplish, what's possible for them in any given moment. Um, it taints all of that. If they're moving from those fear narratives, um, it's very hard for people to, let me, let me put it this way. If they're moving from those fear narratives and they don't know they're doing it, it's like, it's like the old joke, like, you know, you ask a fish, how's the water today? He asks, what's water? Or, you know, so it's like they don't know that they're swimming in these these narratives because it's just the air they breathe. It's mm -hmm. just the truth as far as they're concerned. These form the forms of these three narratives. Mm -hmm. uh, so when, um, so I would say that the biggest obstacles that people face either within my workshops or without, or in in physical practice or non physical practice, it's always I think these are the big three impediments to even just being human and walking around doing stuff. Mm -hmm. Without these three narratives, suffering is is just a, a catastrophically mitigated, like mm -hmm. almost impossibly mitigated. Like you would never think that this much suffering comes from these simple, like forms of these three simple narratives. So mm. that's kind of the profound perspective that originated with me studying under Baron Baptiste students, but eventually evolved into the narrative excavation practice. I heard you mention Baron Baptiste on the, on the Nelson's on Nelson's podcast, the Daily Practice. Yeah, and. Um, and I, I also heard you mention other physical practices that you've done because for to, to categorize it, you're, you're doing gymnastics at the moment, gymnastic strength. That's what it looks like. All right, if I had to categorize it, choose a word. Sure. Yeah, there are other elements <laughs> to it as well. Yeah. That, that's part of what I do, yeah. Part of what you do, yeah. And um, The manifestation the physical practice takes, yeah. Yeah, okay. Physical practice, yeah. Um, but also you mentioned dance. Mm-hmm. And I'm curious <laughs> because um, what kind of dance have you done? <laughs> <laughs> mostly, mostly contemporary dance. Okay. Yeah. So like I've taken some basic classes in flow work and contemporary dance, like um, sort of more freestyle flow work, like mm -hmm. the stuff that you might see on like Tom Wexler's page. I've never studied with Tom, but um, yeah, that kind of thing. But I've never, I, I haven't put invested as much time in dance as I would like to. Um, yeah. It's probably a, an area of understudy for me. I would consider uh, because yeah. uh, because one thing I'm interested in is uh, say your workshops, you're, you're teaching. So the press, I mean, from the physical point of view, I know there's a lot of um, philosophy or psychology behind your workshops. It's not just the physical thing. Sure. But you know, you're asking people um, to think about how they learn and how they think, which is. Um, but anyway, so handstand press, one arm chin up, um, mobility drills, work with the tennis ball, so reaction play. But one thing that maybe your practice doesn't have is martial arts or dance, something mm -hmm. where, unless I'm wrong, where you, you can't control the variables, where you don't, you have to react. And I'm just wondering, is this something, because you've done some Tai Chi, mm -hmm. martial arts or dance, is this something that you're looking to get into or do you see it like it's something you need to explore yeah i would i would consider it that that piece of the game very crucial you know mm -hmm. um so to answer the first part of the question yes it is part of my workshops already like i do a lot of interactive play in my workshops and where like well for example i do a lot of variations of a tai chi tai chi tui show it's like a push hands um where people are interacting in various kinds of scenarios and environments and trying to knock each other over mm -hmm. and trying to respond to each other's momentum and energy and movements in a way that it, 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 uh, it encourages them to explore um, softness as an attribute, softness and responsiveness and reaction, speed in a certain way. Tai Chi mm -hmm. push hands is a lot about those things. 
Um, and so I explore that in a lot of unconventional ways. And that kind of partner work, I think, adds the element that you're talking about. It's a lot about, unpredi- I mean, because you're working with another person, with, they're allowed to work within certain parameters, but within those parameters, there's a lot that's unpredictable. And a lot is just sort of moment-to-moment response mm-hmm. to things. Um, but in terms of my own personal exploration and research, yeah, what's on my list right now that I haven't that I haven't dived into as much as I want to are um, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, um, Thai boxing, or Muay Thai, and um, I think those are the top priority at the moment. I think I think they got a Jiu-Jitsu place here. Yeah, they do. Yeah, I've seen that. Yeah, because yeah. um, one thing I'm interested in is is addressing my uh, my ability to deal with fear. Because I, um, mm-hmm. I've started bouldering the last year or so, and, um, and I've started re- back into jiu-jitsu. Sure. And I've realized that like, um, I, uh, I've become soft. I've become like, um, I, 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 I tried boxing as well, and I was actually scared, if I'm honest. I was scared when I went to, to spa. Scared to get hit, you mean? Yeah. yeah, I was scared to get. As soon as I stepped in the ring and I didn't have anyone with me, it was just me and another person. Yeah, I was really scared, and uh, it made me feel. Maybe it's like my insecurities as a, as, as a you know masculine trying to be masculine, but it made me think I, I shouldn't be scared of physical confrontation, and um, jujitsu was something I stopped training because. I was always, I was went for a phase of being the guy who was getting choked out all the time and I couldn't handle it. I was like, fuck this man, you know, it's just him. So now I've gone back into training jiu-jitsu and I feel great because I faced it. Okay. Uh, and I'm just curious as to, for you in, in terms of, um, is that something that you're interested in, the psychology of dealing with fear and being under pressure in that way with variables you can't control? I mean, yeah, in many ways, it's, it's a central component to my introspection practice already, you know, so I find maybe it's not a, it's not a very strong component of my workshops or events. I'll say that for sure. Um, though people do face those kind of things. Cause I don't do, I mean, we don't do a lot of grapple. We, we don't do any grappling or aside from push hands, which is fairly safe. It's not no impact. Um, you're not allowed to use a hundred percent effort in most scenarios, you know, you're, mm-hmm. in terms of strength. Um, so it's pretty non-confrontational for most people. Um, but aside from that, there's not a lot of that element in my workshops. But um, in terms of my personal practice, I find myself happily well-equipped to deal with those kinds of scenarios where I'm facing confrontation or I'm facing, you know, potential danger um, within a reasonable parameter, you know, because I'm not trying to get severely injured at any point. Mm. It's never the goal. Um, but I find that when there's risk, I, I tend to deal with it in a quite a healthy way. And I think I would attribute that to the years of introspective practice that I've dedicated to. Mm. narrative excavation um tend to deal with it quite fluidly i mean i may i have my hang-ups like everybody else but um tend to move through them in a way that i feel satisfied with i feel proud about mm-hmm. you know i can you, stand behind are you gonna start dancing again <laughs> not right now but <laughs> right now <laughs> it's cool but because i um with dance mm-hmm. um i mean i'm a Rachel was trying to get in with um, I mean she, <laughs> it's not like I've locked her out but um, anyway um, with dance we I went to this workshop uh, a cacao ceremony and it was great but fucking hell it was awkward it was so awkward because I'm I'm not used to dancing if I'm not drunk okay and it was like okay let's all just start dancing 9am in the morning mm. and the, the guys are doing all this stuff and they're singing all these songs and I'm, I'm, I'm like, I'm, this is, I'm well out of my comfort zone. Sure. And I, I thought psychologically, what is actually stopping me doing this? What, why am I like, why am I so resistant to just being open with my movement and that type of thing? And is it, is it something that when it comes to dance, if you have, did you face that challenge at all? Um, when I was younger, yeah, before I before I really had developed this introspective practice, for sure. But now I clearly see, you know, when I was younger, I found dancing so confrontational and so awkward because I was worried. I mean, the main narrative there was that people are going to find me. People are going to, it's going to be embarrassment, embarrassing for me. It's mm. going to be an embarrassment um, because people will think that I'm unskilled, I'm uncoordinated, I'm awkward. You know, they, they, they're not, they're not going to like what they see at all. Mm. And that kind of like harsh judgment... <laughs> 
<laughs> Yayo thinks I'm a great dancer. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so that kind of judgment for me, and I think for a lot of men is terrifying that they're going to be perceived as incompetent and awkward mm -hmm. in a physical way. That's like the worst for some people, you know? Yeah. And so, but now I see clearly whenever I enter those kinds of scenarios, because of my introspection practice, I see clearly this, I mean, I mean, to be clear, it happens at tremendous speed, these narratives, as they filter through your mind. It's almost like just, you know, unless you have a very sharp introspective blade, it's very hard to get in between them. It's very hard to even observe them at all. But they're happening in this sort of rapid succession, and they're all these fear narratives that just ramble off in your head in, in, a, in a fractions of a second, and they, they shift your mood immediately. Mm -hmm. But if you have a, if you, I should speak from I, when I find myself in a practice <laughs> of noticing these narratives, I find it's much easier to recommit to the process, process of exposing myself and being awkward. And I mean, <clears throat> cause I mean, let's, let's not pussyfoot around the issue. People are going to judge you in those scenarios. Yeah. They are judging you. It's not like, I'm not going to come here and tell you like a lot of teachers, you know, teachers will on Instagram and elsewhere, especially yoga teachers. They'll be like, Nobody's judging you anyway. You should just express yourself, you know, just be yourself because they're too busy looking at their phones anyway. Yeah, sometimes, but sometimes they're not. Sometimes they're judging you hard. They're looking right at you and they think the worst thing you could imagine about you. Your worst fear that people are thinking about you, some people think that about you. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And you have to confront that. You have to deal with that. And if you're equipped to, to notice how you react to those if you're equipped to notice how you react, <laughs> how you react to those narratives in, in real time, right? In like, in in the moment, in in that rapid succession that they that they actually occur, then I mean you're you're far more equipped to actually, you know, like I said, expose yourself, mm -hmm. and expose yourself in a dance setting. Yeah. I <laughs> There you go. Just take it out. Yeah, and just see what Your happens. Your emotion, I mean. Yeah, it's yeah. a party, you know, let <laughs> things happen. Uh, but it is, it's something that, and it, it sounds daft us talking about, two men talking about dancing and the fear of dancing, but. Does it? Uh, does it, yes, exactly. Why does it sound daft? Mm. Um, but it, I find that I, um, I'm going to a wedding with Rach in, mm -hmm. uh, in August, and I haven't drank alcohol for two years. Mm -hmm. So I've never danced drunk apart from last Sunday at 9am. I danced sober, shall I say. And I'm thinking, I'm going to go to this wedding. Music's going to come on. And it's time for me to dance. <laughs> you know, it's time. This is what the people want. Because um, I, I used to be a big dancer when I was younger. And okay. I, when I'd be drinker as well. And, but I was the first person on the dance floor. And it's made me think, why am I becoming a prisoner in my own mind? Why am I... Uh, letting this become more of an issue than it, than it actually is. Mm -hmm. And as you said, expect that, no, people are gonna judge you. They might think the worst thing. And, uh, but maybe that's a reflection on what's happening in their mind. And it's like, you have no control over that. So uh, don't let that inhibit you. I mean, it's up to you. You can let it inhibit what you're doing. And there's a reason that we do. Like. These narratives that we have about ourselves and these fear, these fear-based narratives, I'm alone, I'm not safe, and I'm bad, are there for a reason. Like we, we form those narratives in response to traumatic events so that we think we can navigate the future better in a way that's going to either mitigate or avoid those kind of traumas. We don't want to experience that same kind of pain again. And we think that believing in these narratives, believing that they're true about ourselves, is in some way, directly or indirectly, going to save us from having that same pain in the future. That's why they seem valuable to us. That's why we hold on to them. Mm. So they're not evil narratives. They're not some monster that exists in your mind. They're software programs that at one point you found useful. Mm -hmm. And at one point you installed because, you know, one point, one, at, at a, <laughs> sorry, brother. I'm giving devs. <laughs> give yourself a double chin, baby. Am I good now? Yeah, no, you're just a bit close to the mic. Sorry, man. These are very sensitive. At one point you were saying, brother. Yes, I don't remember now. Um, sorry. <laughs> no, it's, it's a... You're saying the response to traumatic, traumatic events? Yes, right. Um, so I think... Yeah, they're, they're basically software programs that we installed at one point because we thought, okay, this is the best, this is the best interface for me. This is the best interface with reality based on what have I, I've experienced. 
And so allowing those fear narratives to modify your behavior and to be a motive for your decisions is smart in some ways. Like actually you should allow those fear narratives to um, be in the background as programs running. Like for example, when survival. Yes. Like for example, when there's a real physical threat, right? Mm -hmm. And you're in a situation where you could potentially get hurt or somebody you care about could get hurt. Um, I'm not saying that these narratives are the enemy, but I'm saying that if you have a practice of observing when they're coming up Mm. and being able to assess, excavate, and then, you know, give up your attachment to them if, if it's functional to do so, or if it's dysfunctional to keep believing in them, then that can, that can definitely, um, help you to move forward in those ways. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Just a quick question. Um, do you believe in hypnosis? I honestly don't know anything about it. You've never been hypnotized? Never been hypnotized, never. I mean, I don't have that much experience watching it either. I mean, I've seen like, you know, in high school, you have some some show, somebody comes to your gymnasium and does something, but that's all I've seen. I don't really know anything about it, okay. honestly. Yeah. Um, but yeah. I think I just got to get to this party in August and just dance like an animal. <laughs> just Because I love dancing, man. But it's, um, yeah. I got up my, my introspection game before then. Yeah. I mean, some questions that you might ask yourself in that situation or that I might ask myself if I were you is like, first of all, I mean, so you mentioned like you haven't had a drink in two years and you feel like, you know, that's going to be a situation where you will drink. One question that I would ask myself is like, okay, if I don't drink, am I making that mean anything about myself? Would that mean anything about me? Am I taking that personally or making it mean something about my identity? Am I making that mean that I'm unsafe, that I'm bad, or that I'm, in, or that I'm um, alone in some way if I, if I don't follow through with that decision? Am I choosing that? Am I choosing to drink based on a fear narrative? Mm. Or is it just something that I want to do based on my values? And is it connected to my values in some way, my highest values that are independent of those three fear narratives? Mm-hmm. That's one question I would ask myself. And number two, might be valuable to ask like, okay, well, if I dance and things go horribly wrong, like the worst case scenario that I can imagine, like the worst thing that happens that I imagine would be the most traumatic for me. Okay, what does that mean for me? You know, Mm -hmm. am I making that mean anything about myself in terms of those three fear narratives? And how am I letting that modify my behavior? How am I allowing that to, how am I allowing that to, to, inform my behavioral traits and my moment-to-moment decisions you know so yeah that's yeah I'm based gonna, on what you said i'm gonna do it i'm gonna do like a post-wedding podcast as well to, to see how it went down just download so. all of it <laughs> yeah um so we're probably hitting about an hour now so let me ask you obviously nope yeah. <laughs> no more questions please um Yourself and Yao Yao. Like a Robert Downey Jr. style. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm done with I'm this. Actually, exactly. Take the mic off. <laughs> um, okay, you're rude. <laughs> the, uh, so you've just moved to Bali. What, what, what's what's, what's going to happen? Mm, I imagine lots, man. I mean, there's, for one thing, a lot of people speak English <laughs> here. Yeah, that's handy. It is handy. And it's. I've already, you know, um, I found that, uh, ironically, since being in China, my social skills have improved and I, I'm more comfortable networking and making connections because I have a clear purpose now. So um, I find that what's got, one of the primary things that's gonna happen here is just more connections. Mm, more community. Yeah, more community, more cooperation with people, doing big stuff, creating things, mm. um, creating projects that are meaningful to the to the to their big picture of teaching and um, changing people's lives and through through physical practice and introspection. So I think that's the big thing, man. And also, like you know, my friend Dom's coming here with with Net, Antoinette, his mm-hmm. his partner, mm-hmm. and we're all going to be living together with my girlfriend in in a villa. We'll be cooperating to oh, wow. to create content. We'll be eating healthy together, cooking. There, I mean, there. He's a nutrition specialist, so yeah. we're all going to be you know living an, an intentional, you know, purposeful, healthy lifestyle together this year, and um, having some fun as well, exploring. Um, but Bali's. You know, Bali is a phenomenal place. I'm looking forward to learning more about the local culture and more about the, you know, their ideas here and about how things work and a lot about the environment and how, because, I mean, tourism is impacting the environment a lot and just modern culture and the influence of modern culture is impacting the environment a lot. Um, yeah. Yao, my girlfriend, Yao, Yao is very interested in um, environmentalism and learning how, um, 
you know, certain, certain materials impact the environment, plastics, cardboards, um, so on and so forth, mm. and how to deal with these problems, um, which is one thing I'd like to get more involved in in the future as, as I start to raise more funds. And um, yeah, I don't know. I think it's, it's going to be a great year. Yeah, man. I'm yeah. excited to see what happens. Um, so listen, thanks so much. This has been Absolutely. a pleasure. <laughs> Certainly has. First ever recorded one as well, video recorded. So hopefully yeah, nice. people like the side of our face. <laughs> I hope my right side's good. <laughs> um, cool, Dev, that's it, mate. Oh, by the way, before we forgo, yep. you changed your Instagram handle. Oh, yeah, so I, I did. Which is now? Which is now Devin P. Kelly, D-E-V-I-N-P-K-E-L-L-E-Y. Stands for my full name, Devin Patrick Kelly. Yeah. Very Irish name for you. It's a great name. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Devin means bard. Bard? Yeah, it's Gaelic. It means bard or poet. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. Patrick, I'm not sure. I think it's not... I think it actually means like royal, like some kind of royalty or something. Mm -hmm. um, but I don't think it's originally Gaelic. Anyway. Um, and Kelly with an EY as well. Yeah, Kelly with an EY. It's like a... That's m more Irish, isn't it? Uh, I, yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, but anyway, so I changed it from um, DK Movement, Devin Kelly Movement, because... I find that I'm addressing more subjects outside of the physical movement realm. And I often talk about psychology and, um, introspective practice more often now. Uh, so yeah, I didn't want to limit myself to that. I wouldn't want to limit my, my, my contributions to that sphere. So, um, yeah, I just want to use my name. So I think it's better representation and you have no website, but no website. I would, I would say, and this isn't a question I would recommend mm. you start one just for a blog because all the content you write is so good and I think it's wasted on uh, a free medium, as in free medium for Instagram because you can't, it's hard to look back on it. It'd be nice to not to look at it on a desktop uh, and read it like an essay and I think it's definitely good enough for that. So that's not a question, that's, I request that you start a blog. Thank you. Well, that, would, <laughs> that would be further down on the funnel for sure. Okay. You know, the Instagram maybe would be kind of like the wide part of the funnel. And mm. sure, that seems reasonable to me. But uh, yeah, if I ever, for me, it's also about like what I feel compelled to do and what I feel is in my values to do in the moment. And some, for sometimes like, sometimes for me sitting down for hours and just like writing a long blog post is, doesn't seem attractive to me. Like, but, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I write a lot on Instagram anyway, but. Devin, yeah. the most read blog in the world, uh, blog in the world, is Seth Godin's. Who's right? that? Seth Godin. He's uh, he has the most read blog. He's basically a market marketing expert, marketeer, and he, he's a, like the thinking man's marketeer. And he has the most read blog in the world. And he sends an email out every day. He has an email every day, and the email is shorter than your um, his blog vlogs are as short as your Instagram posts. Sure. So it can just be short. You know, that's what I'm saying. And then do that. And the next thing is a book. Yeah. Just, just good advice. Just, I just saying. appreciate that. It may yep. be appropriate at some time. <laughs> All but, right, man. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. My pleasure. Cool. <laughs> all right. That's all we got time for. Yeah. It was good fun chatting to Devin. Um, hope you enjoyed it again. If you did, please leave me a review on iTunes or what's even better actually is to leave uh, share it on your Instagram stories that you like the podcast and then I'll repost it that's always great to see I'll leave you with our sponsors Arm Apparel men's clothing brand that want to produce clothing for men and look after the environment at the same time I wear their gear all the time I really love their Voyager trousers but they also do things like I have the t-shirts they do hoodies as well if you just go to om.com forward slash hashtag TYLP which stands for the Yoga Life Podcast then you can check out all the clothing that they have put in their promo code Kevin at checkout you get 15% off that's promo code Kevin at checkout for 15% off finally small changes if you're in the Dublin area, small changes is a little shop making a big difference. I got to stop using that line, <laughs> little shop, big difference. You know, it just works so well. But um, yeah, I know the owner Paddo quite well. I go in there every week to get my my veg and my bits and pieces, and they they do loads of stuff there. I mean, I get my toothpaste in there, toothbrushes. Um, yes, which you're supposed to change every year, I believe, but who knows? But anyway. If you're in the Dublin area, go and check out Small Changes. You can find them online as well, smallchanges.ie. Feel free to tell them that Kev sent you. If you're looking to handstand and you're free on July 6th, 
come down to heels overhead yoga hub cast and knock if you're looking to become a yoga teacher or just deepen your practice maybe come to my open day or our open day should i say at yoga hub in cast and knock on saturday july 27th free event ask any questions that you like all information can be found on kevinballyoga.ie thank you so much as always for listening i really love doing this and i'm very humbled and uh, grateful that you take the time to to listen to me and to become part of this little community that we're forming so keep in touch have a great week catch up with you soon